Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's Mentally Yours from Ellen and Yvette. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And today we're joined by mother and son Amanda Prowse and Josiah Hartley. We're going to be discussing depression and their new book, The Boy Between. Looking back on it now, with so much information and knowledge I just didn't have uh, back then, it was during my A-level exam, sort of the build-up towards them was when my first depressive episode happened. But due to my own ignorance and uh, just sort of the stigma to do with depression and mental health in general I just wasn't equipped to deal with it I didn't know what was fully happening to me um so that sort of it really managed to take a hold that perhaps it wouldn't have if I had was more knowledgeable on the subject so what happened when you got to that kind of dark point if you weren't getting help what was the kind of change of okay this is going really badly how did you eventually get help well at the time in sick form it was definitely a depressive episode, but it wasn't as low as I would eventually think. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't get help, really. I sort of was sleeping 16 hours a day minimum, um, not doing any revision, just doing the bare minimum, barely doing existing, to be honest, barely doing anything. Um, but I didn't seek help in that period. I just sort of slept it off until university came around. And then what happened in university? Um, I fell and fell quite quickly just through the cracks. You know, self-medicating with alcohol, wasn't leaving my bed for any reason, stopped attending lectures and just sort of all normality of life, really. Was there any support out of interest at your your university? Um, Do you feel for people who are struggling with their mental health? And if so, sort of what was there? Um, I attended two universities and the second one was a lot, there was a lot more on offer than the first one. The first one was 
had almost none. But interestingly, the first university didn't have a lot of suicides. The second one I attended is the highest suicide rate in the country. And that one did have more provisions in place. But at the same time, there was long waiting lists and, you know, massively over, overstretched. Um, yeah. And, and you got to, like you say, a pretty sort of dark place with things. Um, what actually sort of happened? What was the sort of the, the lowest point, I guess? Um, the lowest point where I was living in a studio apartment by myself. And um, I just completely gave up. I couldn't see an afternoon, to be honest with you, let alone a tomorrow. And I describe it as the darkness had won. I just didn't, I just completely gave up. I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking. I didn't even feel thirst. I was sort of hoping my body would just give up on me at that stage without further action required. I would just die. And that'd be that. Um, I remember in the sort of weeks leading up to that moment, looking out the window was almost a treat. Oh, it's daytime. Like there's a, you know, there's a bus gone past, but at this stage, day and night, it all muddled into one. I was sleeping, you know, far more hours than I was awake. I hadn't left my bed in, in a long time. Um, and uh, everything just sort of, I, I'd always uh, quite liked the time, even before I was depressed at 4am, because absolutely nobody expects anything of you. It's just you in perfect stillness. You know, your phone's not going to ring. You can just, you know, be there. And I created an environment where it was 4am at all times without sort of thinking the long-term consequences of that would be. So you were living away from your parents at this point. Amanda, did you have any kind of sense of what was kind of going on with your son and how did you find that out? Um, I didn't have any sense of truly what was going on. I thought Josh was one of two things. He was either having such a great time at university, uh, living the dream and doing all the things we hoped for him, socialising and having this marvellous time that he was too busy to respond to our texts or, you know, too busy having a, you know, a great time and, and mm. to actually call us up. Um, or I thought there might be something going on and he didn't want our help or our interference. He would rather do what Josh had, had often done, which was close down a little and figure stuff out. Um, and I felt intrusive every time I said, how are you? And are you coming home? And can we visit? Um, to get such a curt or no response at all felt almost like I was um, I was bothering him. And I didn't really know. I, I, I didn't know, 100% didn't know the level to which he'd sunk. I mean, you know, when we found out his living conditions were fairly putrid, he he was just like a, a shadow of himself. It wasn't like Josh. It was like, you know, whatever made him him, whatever gave him his spark, his character, who had gone from him, his eyes were just completely blank and he was in a very, very bad way. And it was so shocking to see because, you know, we didn't really know. We didn't know how far he had sunk and how quickly. So how did you actually find out? Was there a particular instance? Um, Josh, did you reach out? What actually happened, I guess, is what I'm asking. I didn't reach out. And at the lowest moment, I don't want to go into details, but I had a method to end my life. And my stepfather just had a feeling, just a hunch that something wasn't quite right. I hadn't, I hadn't really been returning calls, hadn't been replying to texts. And he just came to my flat which was about a two hour drive, but luckily he just had a hunch and just came. And he came in, knocked my front door. I opened it and his face just sort of said it all really. I I hadn't washed in weeks. Um, you know, my the bed sheets hadn't been washed in months. I could barely look in the mirror. I just saw like a demonized version of myself. And I completely feel like I couldn't reach out in that moment. I just wanted the 
it's, I just wanted everything to stop. And when he saw me, he, it was quite clear things weren't, weren't great. And I just, I just slept and he held my hand that night um, whilst I just slept. And then in the morning he said, you're coming home. And I didn't want to at first, but I wasn't really able, able to, I wasn't in a position to argue against it. So I, I went home and that sort of, um, you know, how I was, how I was found. And that was the, the biggest intervention point. What did the kind of intervention of going home involve? Cause I think, something that people are worried about is exactly what you're saying, where you didn't want to go home and, you know, the parents feel like they're imposing or they're not wanted. But could you talk a bit about how much that helped you to kind of be taken out of that situation and be given that kind of comfort and support? Yeah, it's it's nice in a way. You know, you don't see it at the time because you're just you're too far gone to really think about anything in those terms. Mm-hmm. I, I lived a completely horizontal life really I was either asleep or sort of almost asleep it was just I lived in such this mental fog I wasn't really capable of looking after myself in any way and I think it felt it felt like a failure being home at least uh, at first because you know everyone else was still at university and I was asleep in my parents house but um it's also added a new a new pressure because I was aware of my effect, my illness was having on my parents at that stage. Sorry, this is making me quite emotional because I had quite a similar thing when I was at uni and it's really sort of, I'm sure lots of other people listening will also sort of have gone through periods like this. I mean, I just want to thank you for being so honest about this. And um, I suppose the next thing to ask is, um, Amanda, how did you then go on to support um, your son and and kind of help him to, to get better? Um. The truth is we didn't know how to help him. And I think we thought once we'd rescued Josh from a situation where we were pretty certain he would have taken his life as per his plan, we thought getting him home and building a nest and keeping him warm and making him soup, he would suddenly wake up one day and cartwheel down the hallway and Josh would come back with his spark and everything would be great, just like it does in any fab movie or great book I've ever read. And I actually believe that's what would happen. I didn't realise that this was just the beginning for us, really. Um, It felt very much like we were on a cliff edge that was crumbling. We just didn't know it. And what came next was far harder than bundling Josh home and, you know, wrestling with him to, to take him away from the situation that was so dangerous to him. It was incredibly hard and we didn't know how to help him. He was a grown man, an adult. Um, you know, Josh is a six foot two bearded rugby player. It's not like I could handle my small child and just lift him from place to place and tell him it was all going to be okay. He was quite hostile or closed down. Those were the sort of the two default settings. And it was incredibly hard for us all to watch Josh suffering. But equally, it felt like he was playing for the other team. He was saying, I, I don't want your help. And what we needed was for him to yield or understand and say, yes, help me. But of course, he was being driven by an illness. It wasn't, you know, it it wasn't coherent thought. So he was really railing against everything we did suggest. Talk to your GP, try medication, speak to a therapist, there's psychiatrists. All the things we suggested were rebuffed and it was incredibly hard. I had no idea what to do first or what to do for the best. And I, I had never experienced depression before. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. And it felt 
like an incredibly lonely place. And I, I quickly learned it wasn't my battle. It was Josh's battle. And there was quite literally nothing I could do. It had to be down to Josh to find coping strategies and find a way out of the, the foggy maze in which he'd wandered. But it was the most uh, devastating thing to happen to our family when someone you love is suffering like that. And not only do they say they don't want your help, but you literally don't know what to do, where to turn. It felt we were all stumbling in the dark, all of us, for very different reasons. And I think um, I think it nearly sunk us all, really, in very different ways and for different reasons. How did you deal with that? Because I think as a parent, all you want to do is kind of protect your child from feeling rubbish or any of the kind of dark bits of life. How do you feel when you realise that you're not you know, you can't prevent that from happening and you're not completely powerful to stop that. I think even worse than that, I was part of the problem because my um, my sort of uh, action ranged from feeling frustrated. Why don't you get up, Josh? Why don't you get a job? Why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you see your friends, go on holiday, have a bath, wash your hair? Thinking I could make him feel better by doing these things, which of course I now know is impossible. But the fact that I was actually potentially making it worse is something that I carry with me like a rock in my gut. That guilt is horrible. And I've always been able to fix everything for my kids. You know, if if there's a problem, what can I do? Like a like a sweeper in curling, going ahead of their path and trying to remove every little bit of obstacle in their way to try and, you know, ease their path through life because I love them so much and that's what I want to do whilst at the same time trying to make them resilient. But this was completely different. There was nothing I could do and um I felt completely helpless and it was only really when Josh decided that he wanted to find a way out of the fog and wanted to to seek help that it was a glimmer of hope it was it was a partnership it became something that was you know there was a possibility that we could do something I didn't want to use the word depression because I didn't want to have a child with mental illness I didn't want that to be my boy's life that wasn't in my plan when I had a baby, I thought for the wonderful things he'd do in his future. I never once imagined I would sit there praying and just hoping and trying to convince him not to not to leave the planet. That was about the furthest from what I could ever have imagined when I became a mum. And so it was a massive readjustment for all of us. Josh was giving up his academic life and he'd always been smart Josh, clever Josh, Dr. Josh, you know, all these labels that we pinned to him. And they were my dreams too. And I can see that that kind of skewed, um, you know, almost vicarious living through this great life that Josh was going to have, that was also a huge pressure and something that we were reluctant to let go of as well. I, I've learned so much and I, I wish I could go back and do things differently. But of course, I wouldn't because I didn't know I needed to. But I've certainly learned a lot since. And, um, I hope I I do better and fail Josh less in the future. Josh, how did you reach out eventually? Was it to a GP or or a charity or a friend? What happened? I eventually decided to go to a GP on you know a slightly better day, not a good day, but a, a slightly better day. And they were rubbish, to be honest with you. They were awful. <laughs> they uh, it just felt like a just a waste of time. They didn't want to. It's, and it's not their fault. They're, they're stuck in a system where, you know, I think a lot of them do the best they can, but it's still, it's tricky because they just need to see 
this conveyor belt a conveyor belt of patients without um they just don't have the time to sort of properly deal with deal with the the root problem and it was felt like I just, they were pushing medication quite quite severely but I did have an extremely positive experience with a psychiatrist and that was you know in hindsight one of the big turning points in my illness he said you're ill Josh you know that don't you and I disagreed with him I was like I didn't fully know what he meant by that I thought I'd done something so big and so bad I really deserved to be feeling this way and that's one of depression's you know nastiest tricks is it makes you feel like you deserve to be feeling this way and he said you know it's not your fault you wouldn't blame yourself if you had cancer don't blame yourself for getting depression and um that really created a new mindset in me that really helped my recovery actually josh what does recovery kind of look like for you now day to day because i think it's important that we don't say you know depression is fixed everything's great but it is an ongoing kind of journey what does recovery mean for you now yeah, every day's a work in progress. And I have good days, bad days, like who doesn't? But I'm thankful that there's more good days than bad days. Um, I'm, I'm off medication, which is, you know, where I hope to stay. And medication can be great for millions of people. But for me personally, I uh, don't want to be on medication. Um, all have, all have some side effects and a lot of them are worth side effects worth living with. But for me personally, I never found the right drug and dosage for that to be the case. Um, so I think I just take things day by day. And also, I'm not afraid to take you know more time for mental health. Um, I know if I'm having a bit of a dip, um, you know, it's not it's not selfish to go to sleep if you need to in the middle of the afternoon for a couple of hours or go for a big walk just by yourself or, um, you know, just put some things off until tomorrow, which might on the surface seem like selfish decisions. But it's my, I know now my mental health has to come first. What made you both want to write this all in a book and to be so honest and open about such a difficult period of time? Um, I didn't, actually. I didn't think I, I wanted to write a book. I certainly didn't want Josh to be labelled that boy, that man. Um, but it started almost by accident. I was out of ideas and we were, frankly, as a family, we were sinking. And I sent Josh an email and I said, look, just tell us how to help you, Josh what can we do for the best? And I said, and he replied and he said, if you, you know, come up to my room, open my window, bring me a cup of tea, turn my pillow over, maybe sit with me for a bit. And I replied and said, oh, what, like you were ill? And he said, I am ill, mum. And um, that was the start of it. it. It totally opened my eyes. And he, he said, when you say things like that, I feel so alone that you have no understanding of what I'm going through. And I quickly replied. And before we knew it, we had, you know, a lot, you know, 20,000 words of a conversation. Um, I showed it to one of my editors. I'm a fiction writer. And she said, this could be the most amazing book. And I said, no, I don't think so. I don't want that to be Josh's label. And I don't think Josh would want to do that. But when she, you know, put it to Josh, he said, actually, you know, I think it's quite helpful. He said, and I always felt like I was the only person who's ever, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Joshy, but... Um, Josh always said he felt like he was the only person who'd ever felt that way. And it would have been good to know that someone else was feeling it too. And we don't have any, it's not like there's a, a magic cure in the book. You know, there's no sudden moment where everything is rosy and we're popping champagne corks and wasn't that a tricky period. It's still a tricky period, but I think we now 
certainly as his mum, I understand this might be as good as it gets. And actually that's okay because um, if Josh is here with depression and it means that some days he isn't present and he has to just take time and he doesn't have a career in inverted commas and he's not doing something that I feel I want to shout from the rooftops with pride or my, you know, my peer group, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters as much as having my son still here. I just let him be and I've learnt just to let him be and he's learnt to open up more. And I think that really is, uh, that was the whole motivation of the book. And interestingly, Josh said he wanted to write the book if it helped one person. And I said to him yesterday, actually, despite we get hundreds, I mean, literally we've been inundated with messages and I'm, it's such a privileged position for people to reach out. But the person, the one person it's helped the most is Josh. How do you feel um, these days, Josh, about it sort of being out there with your, your story, sort of being so honest about everything and also having your mum's side in there? Well, initially it was incredibly difficult, but the thing that got us through, because there were difficult days yeah. writing this book, especially at the beginning, a lot of un- unpalatable truths came out, it's fair to say, I think. But if this book can help one person, it's just all worth it. And I feel very lucky to be able to say, I think it will, you know, can and is doing that. Um so it's all worth it. And, you know, I am that boy. I do suffer with depression. And um, to just sort of hide it and not fully admit and be open about it, you become part of the problem and not the solution. This is an Ill- illness that really thrives on the stigma and taboo and lack of communication, especially in, in young males. I think my final question would be, Josh, could you give kind of one thing that you would like to say to anyone struggling who's not able to talk about it? And for Amanda, could you give kind of one thing that you wish other parents seeing their child struggling knew? It doesn't always feel like it, but just staying on this planet is an achievement. Take things day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, but just hang on in there because things can and usually do get better. You just got to really just hang on in there, take things day by day. And uh, like I said, it's just every minute you're here on this earth when you don't want to be is an achievement. And I, for me, I would say to other parents that even though it feels like the loneliest journey in the world, trying to care for a child with mental illness, there are millions of us. And those moments at three in the morning when you're laying there in the dark and you don't know what tomorrow brings and you can't sleep, you're not alone. You know, we are, there's millions of us and just that collective understanding that we can support each other and help each other, even if it's just sending love and good wishes. I think that can make all the difference in the world. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123 or go to their website, which is samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our guests and also to Juliet Nichols for producing the show. 
If you'd like to find us online, we're on Twitter at Mentally Yours, which is Mentally YRS. And we also have a lovely Facebook group called Mentally Yours, where you can come and chat to us about all things to do with mental health and also the podcast. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.